This is Coda Radio, episode 68, for September 23rd, 2013. everyone, you're listening to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode's brought to you by our two fine sponsors, GoDaddy.com and Ting.com. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as the show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us is our excellent host on the East Coast every single week for 68 episodes in a dang row, folks. It's Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Developers, developers, developers. That's right. Developers, developers. We've got to start with the chant. Let's do it. <laughs> developers, developers, developers. Do I have to jump up and down and hurt my ankle yeah. really bad? You know, if there's not at least like four ounces of sweat under each pit, it's not good. I'm going to miss that. Started. You know yeah. what? I know it's a while. It's a ways off. But honestly, I'm going to miss that a little bit. <laughs> you know, to be honest, Bomber loves me and everybody who listens to Coda Radio. Pretty uh, much, right? He loves developers unless he, you develop on Linux. Yeah, yeah. Or, or iOS you. or... Or really anything. Uh, Okay. So, uh, you know, one of the things that's kind of, there's an excitement in the air as we record this episode on a September 23rd, Monday morning, is that, uh, well, except for it's noon over on the East Coast, is uh, towards the end of our episode this week, Valve has a big announcement coming up. They're going to drop the supposedly rumored Steambox announcement. And I think we'll try to cover it live if if it happens while we're still on the air. Can I I tell you what what it's going to be a big disappointment for me? When it's not real? Well, I mean, I, I don't think it's going to be anything that ships until 2014. They've kind of already couched it. They had a they had a press spokesperson say that they're going to talk. This announcement's going to be what Valve plans to do in 2014. So I'm prepared for that. I don't want it to be like a platform only, right? I want some physical hardware. I'd even love to put a pre-order in, right? I'd love to be able to pre-order it through my Steam account, through the Steam store. Why wouldn't you be able to? Right, exactly. And if you can't do those things, I'm going to be a little disappointed. A little bit, but otherwise I'm pretty excited. I, I think this thing could be a contender. I think it could... Ouya, step aside. Let the real big boys come in and show you how it's done now. Let the big boys show you how it's done. Valve's here. Gabe's going to get it done. What do you think? Gabe likes it when you call him Big Papa. <laughs> All right, so uh, we kind of have... Um, we have a lot of feedback to get through. We've kind of condensed it down a little bit, um, and we didn't want to dwell on the topics from last week because while we enjoyed them, uh, I, we both recognize that there is a good contingent of the audience that really could care less about the consumer electronics side of business. Right, and, you know, and, and they're quick to pick up the pitchfork. I mean, they're... Right. And yeah. even though even though it is sort of like the biggest frontier for developers right now, um, you know, it's one of those things where I understand that some people just really have no interest in it. And that's okay. Even though Microsoft Surface 2 is being announced as the show goes. And, Which is a big uh, milestone for the industry. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sure you've already pre-ordered yours, right? Are you going to get one? <laughs> what are you, crazy? Hmm. Hmm. All right. All right. Well... Was that was that too much? Well, I mean, I mean, I thought you had a little in there. I thought maybe you had maybe like a reason why you might be getting one. Uh, so, um, hmm, yes, uh, a certain female member of my house who is now an iPhone user, <gasps> at least part time. Yes, the colored. It is yellow, <laughs> and uh, and it has a black case. It is oh, Batman edition. Did you get with the holes? Does it have the cheese grater yep. holes? <laughs> Oh, Dominic. Well, un- un- unfortunately, um, 
a mobile platform that does not have applications was uh, less than optimal. Oh, mm. wife had the wife had needs, huh? You know, I'm tired. Yeah. All right, I got a headache. Yeah, um, you got other battles to fight. I mean, I I have to get a Moto X, but somehow convince it not to spy on me constantly. You know, um, it's funny you say that about the Moto X because I'm thinking, <laughs> thinking about. So, uh, can I just touch on one thing that we won't talk about it anymore unless it comes up? <laughs> Chris, you can touch anything you want if you buy me a drink. Oh, uh, hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Uh, so, um, I uh, I've I, so the last week I feel like I sort of went through counseling on air because uh, then we picked up the Android topic and unplugged. Yeah, <clears throat> and honestly. You know, we got some negative feedback, but I have never in an, in probably a very, very, very long time gotten as much feedback as, wow, you actually made me think about that a lot differently. Like I went into that episode thinking one thing and I came out completely rethinking Android and sort of the whole ecosystem around it. And I got that both on this show and on Unplugged. So I feel good. Like I feel like that means that, well, maybe I was harder on Google than I should have been like on the carriers and the manufacturers, the OEMs. Like maybe more blame could be placed there, and I think we got a lot of feedback to that to that extent. Uh, I still think like I was surprised by the amount of people that were sort of clicked into the to the discussion, and to me, I think we kind of unearthed uh, sort of what something a lot of people have been kind of mulling over, but haven't really been able to put into words yet. So I'm actually pretty happy where the conversation went, and now I now at the end of it, I sit here and I kind of think to myself, you know, maybe maybe what I shouldn't do is look at Android as a rolling consumer electronics device. What I should look at is when I get an Android device, at the time I buy it, and maybe this is a Nexus device or maybe this is like an S4, at the time I buy it, I got to look at all of the specs. Is it, can I dip into the Android ecosystem? It's like, it's like dipping in and like I, I take my cup and I, and I drink that Android drink until the cup is empty. And then at the next time, I just buy in at the next point in the stream. It's kind of like how I treat my Twitter feed. Like I do not sit there and read every tweet on my main Twitter feed. Oh, God. I mean, I don't think people really do that. No. I mean, if, I, 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 so I read every at reply because I think it's yeah. annoying yeah. rude not yeah. to. Yes, me too. But I don't uh, So that's no. how I'm going to treat yeah. Android. Like, I'm not going to try to catch every minor release. I'm not going to try to catch every handset that comes out. That's just, that's just too much. It can't be done. What I'm going to do is, like, ta- take tactical strikes. I'm going to go in, live there, be happy for six months, a year, pull out, and then get a new device and just sort of come so up to date then. Where did you get this um, expectation that you thought you had to have every day? I mean, you're not a developer. I mean, <clears throat> well, it's, in, it's in a want, a I guess, different. because, um, right. because uh, I am very aware of the limitations of right. the technology. And so when they fix those limitations, I immediately want that fix. So what I have so to do now is sort of evaluate those limitations up front and then decide if, I, if they're acceptable or not. And I think for the most part now on Android with the later versions, they are. You know when I buy Android devices, Chris? No. Projects? When I have what well, exactly, when I have a client, even if it's not for a specific deployment of that device, if I know the client is testing on a yeah, device that That's when I, I would have, do it too, yeah, in the past. Then I just buy it. It's not like, "Oh my god." Yeah. Like, I think the Moto X is pretty cool other than the fact that it's a 00 agent. It's got two kills under its belt. <laughs> uh, James Bond reference. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> uh, but I don't have anyone on the Android side who's rocking a Moto X right now. So, yeah. I didn't get it. Yeah, you know, I do it uh, I have always enjoyed staying current on technology um and right. it is an expensive habit but i also feel like it's helped there's me so stay much informed. of it now it's right. not like before, like in the 80s where yes. there was like one computer a year all right, right you could stretch yourself and buy that well I mean, uh, so it much. depends if you live in the apple world they do like one computer a year <laughs> like apple hasn't updated their computers oh <laughs> it's funny because they screwed me i have things i can talk about <laughs> okay all right well i just wanted to leave it that and let everybody know that i have found my piece 
I, I, I think the iOS model is superior in terms of delivering updates and end features. Because remember, it's not just about me getting my hands on toys. It's uh, about developers uh, utilizing it. Can I get a bumper of that? I think the <laughs> iOS model is superior, and I'm going to email it into last every week. <laughs> I, in terms of updates and software feature deployment. Seriously, Coda Radio at JupiterBroadcasting.com. I want that. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it at that. Now, uh, yeah, you last week, did you want to cover your, uh, your new machine follow-up? Because this is the feedback and follow-up section. So if you wanted to tackle sure. that. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not going to recap the whole thing. For obvious or less obvious reasons, I needed a Mac Pro. Different reasons than Chris, but same idea. Apple punched me in the face by not doing a real Mac Pro this year. So I've been in limbo land. Um, so I just upgraded to a more powerful mini with the uh, understanding that I'm pretty much going to be buying a new one of these every year or every 18 months or eight. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially, that's the deal with the mini. Yeah. Right. They're totally disposable. They're kind of shitty. And when they break, you're screwed. But what do you as a developer need that the mini can't de- deliver? Nothing. They're just not, they are the low end product, right? This, not, this is the yeah. tax to the Apple system right here. This is well, the it, Apple. So wait, I just, just want to jump in. It's the low end product that still cost me $1,300. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's still, it's still yeah. more expensive than it should be. I mean, seriously, the mini should be at least $200 cheaper. Yeah, I would especially say, yeah. after a year, dude. That's the like I could understand for the first six months of the product life cycle, margins are tight, so they charge more. But after you know what is that thing like? It hasn't been updated for over three hundred days or some crap. I, I yeah. think, and I see this is you know we got an email into the Coda Radio inbox that said, um, or no, it was in the subreddit. It was in the subreddit, and the guy said, uh, you know, I've been really struggling about switching to the Mac for development, but. You know, the things holding me back is I don't agree with Apple's uh, corporate decisions. I don't agree with the way they design their hardware. And um, I don't like a few aspects of the operating system. But then again, I like to make money. And it seems like that's where a lot of developers are making money. Right. Very common hard spot that a lot of people are finding themselves in. And you talk about making money. I I guess, you know, I look at that Mac Mini and I think this is a built-in tax. You know, you have to buy that machine every year where instead you should be able to buy a tower that lasts you three years. I'll put it this way. My Windows update cycle is about three to four years. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's less money. I mean, this Dell, I think, was less than $1,000. And it's arguably a better machine. I mean, there's a few. It's it's doing different things. And I, and I don't want to hit this too hard because yeah. it depends on what kind of development you're doing. You may or may not need the kind of thing that I felt I needed. Right. So I'm just, I just, and yeah. now if you're making enough money, uh, it's kind of like me with production. I'm not really making enough money to justify it, but it's a work tool, so it you know it kind of cl- falls into a different classification of device. Right. I mean, I, and I'll be honest. If, if a lot of my, if more of my business wasn't so Apple centric, a different decision could have been made. Right. Like, but since I'm working 90 percent of the time in that in that unit, I wanted something that didn't suck, basically. And do you consider it to be a workstation? I mean, this little mini oh, there, there with are no laptop parts? This, yeah, there are no – I mean, this is a this is literally on my desk in my office. This is not a toy. But it's just la- – I mean, this is what bugs me. I, don't, I know we, we should get off this, but I right. just – it bugs me that – so not only – and I and I, I this I have no skin in this game. I'm not a developer. I'm not oh, buying you mean hardware. because it's using a, a laptop CPU and a laptop motherboard? And a laptop and a laptop bus. And the same thing is true for the iMac. I mean, Apple really – constrains bandwidth IOYs these machines by using these parts. Not only that, but they often on the mini and the iMac underclock the components of video okay, so card. I, I guess, like, I, I get your point, but I've never said this wasn't a planned obsolescence thing to make developers spend more money. It's just a reality of, you know, the business. Okay, all right. All right. So um, we got a few emails I thought we should get to. 
And then, uh, and uh, we also got a great thread in the subreddit, and I went and picked out uh, a thread from there, too, to cover. Before we do that, why don't we thank our first sponsor uh, this week, and then uh, we'll get into the emails, and that is GoDaddy.com. Now, phone, friends, uh, you know Jean-Claude Van Damme is kicking things up a notch over at the GoDaddy, and they also have fantastic deals to match the new look. Uh, now, Michael... If you were working with a group of folks, maybe on a project, say like an open source project, or maybe a closed source project, or maybe even a secret project, oh. you might have domains. You need maybe you have forums, maybe you have a bug tracker, maybe you have all these things that you need to set up to make it real easy to get contributions, to get to working with people, to make the workflow nice and easy. Well, let me tell you something, friend. If you use that code coder199 when you check out, that's right, coder199 when you check out, you get a .com for $1.99, additional domains, $9.99. Mr. Dominic, Mr. Dominic, you go into that GoDaddy account, you go into the management area, you create a folder, and then you add anybody you want to have control over those domains, and only the domains you want, and then you drag the domain in, you drag the domain out. It's beautiful. You add it, you remove it. I do this with folks all the time when I'm working on a project with them and they need to have control over the domains. Maybe we're setting up a mail server and somebody's setting up the uh, spam forwarding to mail route, or somebody's got a mail server up at the GoDaddy hosted exchange system and we want to forward mail to there. I don't want to have to deal with that stuff anymore. I'm big time these days, ladies and gentlemen, big time. So I delegate. Actually, it's just that the people I delegate to are better at it than me. But I acknowledge my limitations. I acknowledge my limitations, and GoDaddy helps me be efficient. And I like that. Working within groups, working within teams makes it very, very nice. Because really, honestly, I hate having to hand out my username and password. And GoDaddy just takes care of that. Their whole system manages that. They're really good for small businesses. They're really great for teams, and they're great for individuals with a $1.99.com. So go over to GoDaddy.com, or you can click the banner in our show notes. It'll pre-charge your shopping session with that $1.99 code, and you grab yourself something nice. You know, the holidays are coming up. Grab yourself something for the holiday event. You have family coming over. You want to do a classy little blog to invite them. Or you, or you want to have like a little photo event from Thanksgiving or you want to send out cards and put a dot com on there for people to look up information at $1.99. Why not? So use the code Coder199 when you check out over at GoDaddy.com. And thanks to GoDaddy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Okay. How about I read our first email? I think it came in from Zach. Are you ready? Are you, uh, are you braced and sitting in the upright position? Yeah, it was Zach. Uh, he wants us to go in more. He wants us to go more in depth about kernel and system development. He says, "Hello, Mike and Chris. I'm a big fan of your show, and for the past few weeks, I've been listening to the backlog in order. I'm currently on episode Ooh. 52, and I've learned a lot from your show. And I was hoping I can learn a little bit more. I apologize if this question is covered at some point after episode 53. If it is, please ignore the email. Well, don't worry. I'm a new programmer, and I'm learning Python and SQL right now." Uh, from Zed Shaw's learningcodethehardway.org, with plans to learn C when I feel comfortable with Python. <clears throat> he says, I remember on one of your early shows, I think it was within the first few months, where you mentioned that kernel and low-level system development jobs often pay very well. Could you go into a little more detail about finding a job like this and what skills I should pick up? I have a definite interest in doing low-level coding, regardless of the pay. Obviously, learning C is a good first step, so that'll come soon. But when should I go from that? Where should I go from there? I'm aware. I'm aware that trying to contribute to the Linux kernel is quite hard, especially for someone just starting out. Possibly relevant info, though. I'm 24. I live in the U.S., New York at the moment, NYC. Uh, but that could change in the near future. I'm currently a Windows Sys admin looking for a Linux admin job. Until I'm confident enough as a coder for a development job. I'm a huge Linux fan. Uh, I've actually got the tux tattooed on my leg. Keep up the good work, you guys. I look forward to listening to the show on my commute to work every day. Wow. And may the force be with you, Zach. 
Great questions, really. I mean, we've covered elements of this, but this kind of puts it all together. It's like, here's my mission. Here's my plan. I'm a Windows yeah. admin. I'm going to become a Linux admin, and then I want to do. I want to move on to development. Uh, so he's he's specifically interested in the low level stuff. You know, the down and dirty, getting real, uh, getting kind of at the infrastructure. So I, I read his email last week, actually, not to cut you off, but I actually had him email me to do some contract Linux admin for me. Oh, there you go. So what I would recommend and what I did in my reply is, since you're already a, a working Windows admin, um, if you're in the chat room, by the way, I, I think I got your email. I have to reply still. Um, if you're already a working Windows admin, just just transition over to the Linux stuff first. Do some open source coding in your spare time. Obviously, the Linux kernel is going to bitch slap you down if you try to send them a pull request. So you know, that's how that goes. Uh, I would say... While you're working as a Linux admin, right, you want to boost up that GitHub profile. Oh, no, I never replied. Uh, can you send it again? Sometimes Darth Maul, my spam filter, can throw <laughs> things away. Darth Maul. Dude, the spam filter is insane. It, I emailed myself something and it from like my personal account, and it spammed it. That's not legit. Got to block like, that. It was like, die. Yeah, but no, I would definitely get into the admin side on Linux first and then do some... Uh, some small open source in terms of things to study. I'm not a low level guy, um, but I would say obviously C, like you mentioned, but probably some assembler. Um, even understanding how garbage collectors work, like actually writing garbage collectors, things like that. Anything that will make you seem more impressive to those types of folks. And since I'm not being very helpful right now, I would also ask that anyone who does this for a living, because I know Chris, we have a bunch of them who listen to the show, uh, to email in for next week and kind of with perhaps better advice. Mm-hmm. That would be great. That would be great. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, that's I, – I didn't realize you'd emailed him back. You're so nice, Mr. Dominic. <clears throat> um, all right. <laughs> Why would someone email themselves? Obviously, Forge Header's trash. <laughs> all right. Next email. Uh, this one's a really, really long one, and I'm going to do my best to just kind of uh, blow through it and kind of summarize because I didn't want to spend too much time on the whole Android topic this week. Uh, but uh, he says, uh, hi, Mike and Chris. I have a solution for the Android update problem. Going back to the fact that I'm butthurt that Android devices don't get updated properly. He says that, uh, you know, maybe Google could relicense more of it to Apache and then just uh, uh, GPL uh, the parts that they had to. Um, he says it's kind of almost like that, really, actually. But the GPL has special provisions for the case that software comes installed on the device and states that in such a case, the user must be able to change the software and that the product must come with instructions on how, on how to change it. That would mean that locked bootloaders, SIM or carrier locks, and other restrictions would essentially be impossible. Obviously, the OEMs wouldn't like this very much. Uh, he goes on to say that licensing the OS under proprietary license to OEMs that agree to certain sets of conditions, that's kind of the advantage. Uh, these could include mandatory updates for two years, no, car no carrier bloatware, or limitations on UI skinning. I mean, so essentially, what, what uh, and, and the, um, well, the reason why I wanted to cover Tobias's email, Mr. Dominic, is because he's essentially laid out what Google probably could have done originally, at the time of the first agreements with carriers and manufacturers that right. they didn't do. It's a lot, this goes back to a lot of people write in and say, well, it's, it's not really Google's fault. It's the, it's the manufacturer and carrier's fault. But uh, Tobias here has kind of worked up the solution that Google could have followed to prevent the original abuse. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I just don't know what the legality of then going back and retroactively screwing with the GPL is because I'm not a lawyer. So... Um, and I, I have to think that these conversations must have happened inside of Google at some point. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I, again, not a lawyer, don't take me for legal advice, but I would say that it's probably very hard to undo the GPL and let, without 
doing a total branching thing. You know, also, uh, Chris DeBona had a talk at uh, LinuxCon 2013, which I have linked in the uh, Linux Action Show show notes from this Sunday. And, you know, Google's original, I mean, the, I mean, according to him, the main goal was to make Android disrupt the market because they didn't want uh, I, iOS or BlackBerry. At the time, when they originally started working on Android, it was BlackBerry, but then it became Apple. Uh, they didn't want one uh, manufacturer and provider to dominate the whole spectrum. And they were actually a lot more worried about the integrated guys, the top to bottom solution guys. They felt like those were the biggest threats. And so they were literally just trying to throw their wooden shoes into the machinery. Like they just wanted to make sure that they put something out there. And so, you know, that informed a lot of those original deals because the goal was disrupt and, 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 uh, you know, really just get the whole, the whole marketplace, like more competitive. And they, they succeeded from that standpoint. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Again, this is more of a lawyer's question, right? What can you do? My guess would be once it's GPL'd, you could branch it and do your own, maybe, but you could never undo what's already been done, right? You can never take away the license right? That, that already existed. But again, not a lawyer. Definitely don't ask me. And to be honest, this is why I stay the hell away from the GPL. Uh because you don't, you know, what was that app that got a very snarky injunction from the Free Software Foundation? Because they didn't know they violated the GPL, but instead of just politely telling them and asking them to put up the notice or whatever it was, they uh, they actually got the injunction and screwed them, made them pull their product. Hmm. Which, again, I, you know, I know the Free Software Foundation has a lot of good things, and I've been an avid supporter of them in the past. But getting small developers forced injunctions when a simple phone call, like, hey, can you put this notice on your website? You know, they didn't relieve the injunction until two weeks after the notice was up. Have you? Did you see that the CyanogenGuys guys are going legit and they're doing their own uh, inc- company and they and they just announced uh, they're gonna they're gonna the Oppo N1 is gonna support flashing CyanogenGen like as part of the bootloader. Like you can go to the bootloader and choose to load CyanogenGen. Yeah, that's really exciting. Uh, I I wish I knew more about it. But I don't so think one thing that is. one thing that uh, I covered in last on Sunday is. Uh, there's a couple of developers, mainly the one that's making the biggest fuss is the developer who created Focal, this, the recent uh, camera app that Cyanogen was using. Um, right. And uh, he just put it out in the Play Store, too. Uh, so one of the things he pointed out is there is a contributor agreement to the Cyanogen project that allows them to take all of your code and relicense it to something proprietary. And so they are doing just that with like the versions that they're going to work with the handset manufacturers. They're going to take all the people that have been working on the Cyanogen project for the last couple of years and contributing code, you know, under the understanding they're giving to an open source project. And now that code is going to become proprietary code. And there are some developers that are pretty upset about that. Yeah. So it's, again, it, it's a two-sided thing, right? There's always a need to, I don't know, enforce good behavior, right? Prevent people from, re- I guess, I, I just feel like there's a way to do this that doesn't actually damage people, right? So getting back to the Cyanogen case, how are they doing that and how is it legal? Well, when you contribute to the Cyanogen project, you, you You're agree. signing an agreement with them. Yeah. A separate agreement. Yeah. So, okay. So, again, the, uh, that's what's a little strange about doing a show called Quota Radio with all the open source stuff. A lot of it's actually a question for an attorney, right? It is. It is It, it is fast. Off. It, it is amazing how fast it goes that direction. I mean, it, my, we used to get these, I would say, what was it, within like the f- first 15 episodes, you know, I'd always talk about how I use BSD licensed software and Apache software, why I always advocated and always relicensed my open source stuff under Apache and BSD. 
and this is the reason they're they're very simple. You don't need a lawyer to look at it, right? Um, and I know philosophically, a lot of people are going to think, well, that's dismissive, and they don't. But again, I I, I hate giving lawyers money. So, <laughs> all right, last email. Uh, actually, it was a uh, subreddit post, and um, we had a we had like a great thread on uh, last week's um, quarter radio post on the uh, subreddit. So, thanks, you guys. He says uh, this is from AM two fifty five, and the subject is: Does it really matter what tools you use? He says, I always find it amazing how programmers will grasp at the tiniest things for a bit of acknowledgement. If we're not bragging about the editor or IDE we use, we try to convince people that our choice in language is the best. Does the tools we really does the tools we use really matter that much and warrant such reactions? I always get a lot of hate for the uh, my preference of NetBeans. Eclipse users argue that it does not have good enough plugins. Vim users say it's a waste of system resources. Then there's the languages. I'm so tired of hearing endless rants from fanboys that think their language is the one. I'm coding in many languages, but this stance seems to generate its own kind of hate. People either think you're a jack-of-all-trades that will never amount to much, or that you're not experienced enough yet to realize that language X is obviously the answer to life, the universe, and everything. To clear a few things up, number one, I like NetBeans because A, I'm used to it, and I like a lot of the hockeys that make coding much more, much more fun, and B, I can use a myriad of different languages. A myriad? Hmm. Even though I usually prefer NetBeans, I do like several other IDEs. He goes on to talk about what he likes. Which is funny after talking about how people always have to talk about what they like. Uh, to me, it's always been about choosing the right tool for the right job. And would just as easily suggest WordPress as I would suggest YII, CakePHP, QT, Swing, JavaFX, WPM, WPF, or any other technology. Provided that the best solution, provided that it's the best solution, is because it's more, just because it's more difficult or easier solution is best because it's easier in a way the decision to me is much simpler than that simply figure out which technology will best achieve your most important goals i'd like to see other opinions on this do you have any very strong opinions towards one technology or other and if so what made you choose it so uh you're a practical guy mr dominic i think you're going to agree with this it doesn't really matter what tool you use as long as you're getting the gerb done i couldn't care less now you say that though but is there ever something you hear and you go you're doing what you're using what um, I mean, like, weren't you just Mr. Uh, hey, on the pre-show, I'm deploying a Python app. Burp, 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 look at me. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> okay, so part of that is me trolling the audience. Yeah. <laughs> They're always so, Ruby, Objective-C, hipsters. Although, actually not, though, right? Because how many times have we really beat up on basic folks? Yeah. Um, I-, I would say that I try to avoid this behavior, but there are didn't say this but it's true i mean i don't know when, like, I'm, when I'm getting a project and there's a back-end guy and i find out he's a php guy i'm a little more cautious yeah like, okay see there you go now you're being honest i'm not rude i'm very nice I, yeah yeah but you're maybe but, just gonna you're gonna feel him out a little more you're gonna look for a little more warning signs well i'm going to <laughs> to get i'm going to do the hey i think this is a server-side problem a lot faster than i might um right someone who's doing something else right right now that see Teg's crying in the chat room right now because he's a PHP guy. Well, maybe he's a good one. Honestly, it, so it, it's kind of not fair, right? Because the problem with PHP is that there's a lot of PHP guys, uh, and when you have such a big population, a lot of them suck. Now, I don't think there's a higher proportion of shitty PHP guys than there are of shitty Ruby guys. I just think that there's so many of you that it's kind of like uh, Windows yeah. Windows certified admins. Where like uh, the I run, I run, I cry, and I leave. The Windows admins are like when when somebody comes in and they've got a long list of Microsoft certifications. That's honestly a warning sign to me. 
And okay. and not everybody's bad, but it's a warning sign. So I'll be I'll be like to be a little shed more a little light on this PHP thing. If someone says, "Oh yeah, I'm a PHP guy," you know, I'm using Cake for this. I'm like, "Oh cool, great. You're not crazy." Um, <laughs> if they're like, "No, I rolled my own," then I start to get a little you did blah. Yeah, yeah. You know, they'll enumerate why all the frameworks suck, and I'm like, "Oh no." Um, again, just nothing wrong with folks who choose to develop in PHP. I think it's human nature. We, we pick our groups, we pick our clans and then Fine, that it's once you're burned, like I was very oh, yeah. early on burned by a PHP developer who just sucked and was able to lay everything on me. Right. And to say, Oh no, he just, you know, client side doesn't know what they're doing. Um, so now I'm like, no, no, fuck you guys. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I watched, uh, I watched some, I watched a lot of really, really bad, real basic apps get created. For exactly, a few years. exactly. And it's like when I see VBasic, I'm always a little, huh? Yeah, and then I'm like, oh, you use real basic? Oh, yeah, or VBase? Yeah, it's like, oh, okay. So that's probably a bad app, and I don't mean to do that, and I shouldn't do that, but I do. So I guess, you know, AM255, your uh, benevolent host here, are also sometimes victimless. But I think it's human nature, too, because like Michael says, it's it's sort of like um, you almost shame a technology in a sense to avoid other people being afflicted by its by its bad ways, right? You almost Although like, it, it's funny, too, though, because I've been feeling a little bit of like .NET shame. Right, yeah. It, it kind of works both ways, where it's you kind of can be like a closet.NET developer. It's just a little weird. Well, it's kind of like people like... You know, from our Android discussion we had, people came out of the woodwork being like, yeah, I'm an iPhone user and I've been afraid to say anything. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I it's hard, right? I mean, what's funny now is that I have a little bit of help at fingertip and a lot of, you know, they're Linux guys, basically. Oh, no. <laughs> and it, 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 it's funny because I'm like, great, so we're doing some .NET now. <laughs> How do they roll with that? Uh, not bad, actually. Okay. Uh, All right. uh, but again, we, we found some curious decisions in .NET, and I would say the ASP uses a little more memory than I'd like it to. So did you Just, want to talk about that today? Do you want to make yeah, that? Okay. You know what? People have been begging for a framework section, yeah. and I've been doing months of .NET. Okay, so. okay. So um, why don't before we get into our main topic, why don't I thank our second sponsor today? And uh, this is, uh, of course, the wonderful folks over at Ting.com, which Ting is mobile that makes sense. And uh, was this, gosh, I can't keep our pre-show and the regular show straight anymore. I think this was pre-show. Uh, during the pre-show, Michael and I were talking about how that new Moto X is looking pretty great. Well, guess what? Ting, the folks over at Ting now are rocking the Moto X white and black. They've also added the blue, black, and red HTC ones. At least I think, the, at least the red, that red HTC one looks super, super great. So, you know, the the thing about the Moto X that really kind of has they me have intrigued. The Moto X? Yeah. They, Hang on. What is that? Coderadio.ting.com? Coderadio.ting.com. Black and yeah. white, my friend. Black and white. And, you know, the thing, the, I think the feature about the Moto X that I'm kind of intrigued about is um, the uh, flick your wrist to activate the camera. Because as a dad, it, with the, when you have young kids, the window of opportunity to take a picture of your kids is so small. And the, if I can use the time I'm taking the phone out of my pocket to actually activate the camera, and then you just tap anywhere on the glass and it takes the picture. That's sweet. See, and this is, I talked about this last week where I think Apple has an advantage being an integrated um, manufacturer. And I think Samsung has that advantage. This is obviously, this is Google's flagship device if they were going to do a, a one with an external partner, right? This is as close of integration as they're going to get with the Motorola because they're part of Google. I think this device, this Moto X phone, I think is the is probably the the best Android device that demonstrates the ability to recognize the Where's balance. What? 
cut out a, a little bit. Oh, okay. I'm still here. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. I think now. I think, Mr. Dominic, you probably agree with my statement on this. Moto X represents like the perfect balance between like features and keeping it conservative enough to actually have a reliable, fast, long battery life, functional smartphone. You know, something that some of the Windows phones are pretty good at, something the iPhone's really good at, and now something that an Android phone is really good at. They didn't go crazy on the specs just to put a dot on the box, right? But they put the things in there that matter, and I think that it'd be interesting to experiment with that always on. Like, I have my suspicions, of course, because I'm a geek, but at the same time. Like, I also want to live in the Star Trek universe. Like, I, I want a Jarvis, right? And we have to just kind of begin to move that direction. I'm willing to experiment with that technology and be a guinea pig. I'd love to play with the Moto X, but I might, I don't know. See, I, I got to come up with a good reason. I'll tell you one good reason Ting. Ting has no early termination fees. You only pay for what you use, $6 a month for a line, and then they'll just add up your minutes, your megabytes, and your messages at the end of the month. And then whatever bucket you fall into, that's what they'll charge you for. You can have multiple lines on a single account sharing a pooled amount of minutes. Their dashboard is crazy easy to use, very clean, very fast, and very efficient to get through. I love it. I've done everything through the Ting dashboard. And of course, the average Ting Bell, $21 a month. $21 a month. If you go to coderadio.ting.com, they'll take $25 off your first device. Or if you bring your own device and they've got a growing list, they've got that out on their website. If you bring your own device, $25 off your first month. Well, look, if the first, if your average monthly bill is $21, then you might end up with a free month. That's a great deal. Plus, they have a concierge service to find a used phone. So with the holidays coming up, if you'd like to grab a couple of phones and you have certain specs you want them all to meet, you can go use that concierge service. Ting will suss up some uh, compatible uh, previously owned devices and then contact you when they're ready. And to top it all off, not only have they lit up 34 more areas in LTE this month alone, targeting 200 million people covered with LTE by the end of the year, but they've just announced an early termination relief program. If you go over to coderadio.ting.com and check the Ting blog, you can find a link where they'll take $75 off each line that you have to cancel. You just buy your Ting phone, port your number, and then submit your claim. And Ting will help you with the early termination fee. And if you use that uh, that pricing calculator, you're gonna you're gonna see why you want to do that. So go to coderadio.ting.com. And thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Love Ting. Um, that Moto X is really kind of talking to me. And I know you know we talked about. It. I don't really need it. I don't really need it. But yeah, I'm trying. So I do need another Android test device. But I, I'm trying to show some discipline. Mm-hmm, that's where I'm at with the holidays I know- coming up. Yeah, with the holidays, and I have a wedding, and I also know there's going to be another Nexus. Oh yeah, the, yeah, the five. Yeah, so I'm 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 on the page. I literally have it in my car on Ting.com right now. Yeah, I'm I'm oh, man. I'll make a decision by the end of the show. So you've been you've been knee deep in .NET in the ASPs, and I'm assuming there's probably a little Azure in there too. So what's going on? What can the you, skies are blue? Can yes. you reveal what it is, or is it a secret still? What can uh, you tell us? So there's been a few things. It's basically just a, uh, M, you know, RESTful MVC backend that uh, saves some data and does some stuff. Was that descriptive? Nope. Okay, well, that's what I was going for. Okay. <laughs> uh, but there's been some interesting problems around ye old Azure. So .NET is magical like a, like a sparkle pony, you might say. And it has these magical things called routes, kind of like Rails. And it sometimes doesn't actually use your routes. It doesn't. Magical file called webconfig that doesn't always get updated when you deploy. Which is fine. These are all little. These there's nothing necessarily wrong with .NET. These are all things that happen when you're kind of a big lots of magic stack, right? 
Um, so, for instance, how do we get, do this without sounding like it's voodoo? You make your Azure instance, right? It, it tries to link it up to the database on Azure. Unfortunately, sometimes that doesn't always work. And it doesn't warn you. Hmm. Um, for instance, if you mess up a migration, it doesn't tell you locally because it will pretty much always work on localhost. And if you deploy it to Azure, it'll just crash with a very indescript error message. So that's a little annoying. Deployment is still far more painful um, than, than I'd like to, to admit. Now, part of that would be I'm not a, you know, I haven't been doing .NET forever. I'm, I'm fairly noobish in the .NET world in terms of, ad, well, I mean, everybody's noobish in Azure, right? Because it's still new. It's very new. Yeah. Um, and what's happening is Azure is kind of magical. And the, the nine out of 10 times that it works in terms of that magic, it's fantastic. Um, that other one <laughs> is a freaking nightmare. And is there just not a lot of good feedback as to what the issue can be at the time? The errors are vague. Um, and one thing I've noticed is the .NET community is kind of like RTFM. Um, you know, like, oh. And I don't know if it's a cultural thing where .NET's used a lot in big enterprises for big, big, big projects. Oh, it's a Microsoft. It's a Microsoft right. thing. It's but yeah. these little... And well, the document, you, let me guess. Right. The documentation, you got to read like five pages just to read where you need to go read and it's very thin. So I'm used to deploying a Rails app like five times a day, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as it passes validation, as soon as I do some manual testing. Pop, pop, and it's up. Bam, git push, bam, migrations run. Yep. Um, and they say that that's how they want Azure to be. <laughs> but and it, and it works most of the time, but when the deployment fails, holy shit, does it fail? Just like, all kinds it, of fail, huh? It, it you know, one thing that's nice about some other services, a la Heroku, when a deployment fails, it generally will fail locally, right? And it'll roll back your live instance sure. automatically. So it'll be like, you suck, we're rolling back, but none of your users can tell. It doesn't seem to be happening like that on Azure right now. So Azure will like, actually bork the production site if the deployment fails. It almost feels like I'm FTPing it up through Visual Studio. Maybe it like is. Like it overwrites it and it yeah, I hope not. Kind of sounds like it is. <laughs> it just blows it away. Like, yeah, it doesn't uh, blow away the database. It blows away the app, obviously. So is the documentation just totally unhelpful in this area? Again, hard to say that. There is a lot of documentation. Yeah, they have entire. They have they have more staff working on documentation than a lot of companies have working on the primary product. Right, and w- what I found is, you know, ninety percent of the time it's a migration. If you ever have an issue, the rest of it something. Okay, one other common issue is it loses DLLs sometimes, loses references. Um, like WebGrease, which is something for ASP that is theirs, that sometimes doesn't think it's there, but it's there, you have to add and remove it, which is stupid. Um, and a lot of these feel like they could just be issues with Visual Studio 2012. Um, a lot of them feel like they could be because I'm running it in a Dropbox folder. I feel like sometimes it syncs and it gets pissed off and loses some of the references. So Azure supports connecting to your Dropbox folder? No, no, no. Visual. Oh. I have the project in a Dropbox. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, Has that ever been a problem for you, though? I mean, uh, X, if you have X multiple machines, right? Oh. So, so hmm. what's weird is I have one Windows machine. Yeah, so... You're not, like, syncing it to anything. Well, it's syncing to Dropbox, yeah, right? Yeah. And it's back to yeah, Dropbox. Yeah. So I guess so I predict this is bad. I predict this is this is the red flag because here's why. You've said on this show before 
magic is great, but if the magic doesn't work and, you know, you can't look inside the magic to figure out how, what that box is actually doing, well, so here's you the can't problem. trust I, it. Right. Here's the problem. I've been also studying up on Docker. And I feel relatively comfortable rolling up a Docker um, instance. Yeah, well, it's, them? I, it's super easy. After right. you've and, and just pushing that up to AWS or hell, I could push it up to a Dell server. See, right? that, so this is, to me, the practical compromise because it's not quite as slick. It's not quite as magical, but it is in, in day-to-day practical use. You can run a local instance completely exactly identical to what you'll deploy right. up there. It's rollback capabilities. There's There's differentials, so you can have multiple people working on it. I mean – yeah, I, I I predict this is not a good sign for you. How how far are you into this? Well, so these projects will be done in .NET. Uh-huh. The ones that I thought are. so. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's no choice, and it's it's not that bad. Okay, so here's another big cultural difference, right? Um, and let's take Rails, or I think this is also true of Django, but I'm not sure. With those, all the magic is in those bullshit .config files, right? Which are basically fancy XML or fancy JSON files, depending on what you're doing. Um. That's not the case in the .NET world. You have a lot of DLLs, and they're weird. Um, you would think, well, that's great, right? They're libraries that the system knows to put in for you, and it's beautiful, and it works, and yay. Uh, but they often get lost, and it's not super intuitive how to do that. Oh. Yeah. The manifest file. Thank you, Heaven Revenge for Rails. Um, also, their version of what I would say is equivalent to the Rails manifest file, that the web.config is freaking huge. And it is very not... I mean, here's what's frightening me. I went to an older, much more senior you know, .NET guy and showed him my problem. And he said, oh yeah, that just happens. Go ahead and delete the DLL and, and build and clean. Oh. Like, wait, 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 how do I fix this? Just redeploy before anyone notices. And I said, uh, no. <laughs> like... But what was the solution? He said, "You'll never figure it out." He said, "It, it takes too long. It's not worth it. Just blow out the blow out the references and, and re-add everything." He's a jackass. Well, I, no, he is actually very good at what he does. <laughs> no. it, it, yeah. I mean, his advice was, of course, the practical advice. It, it's just frightening, right? It's well, I don't want to be doing this, right? What if when I pass this off to somebody that needs to maintain it? You know, that's not very good. Um. So that's bad. I'm just picturing like how I would explain that to a client, and especially if this was a platform. So it's hilarious. The clients feel like this is the most natural thing ever. So they're a window shop too. Then they're window shops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, You know, this is a culture thing Uh, because this sounds a lot like you could you could replace the words libraries and Azure with Exchange and Windows sysadmin, and it sounds like a conversation I'd be having. Like the one guy said. The admin on their side was like, Mike, don't worry about it. Just restart the instance. God. I'm like, wait, no. <laughs> right. Restart. Don't want to do that. Restart. He was like, don't worry, I'll just restart it. I'm like, what do you mean restart it? Yeah. Like, what are you nuts? Uh, so it's. How can, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It, you know, I like the language. C sharp is fantastic. You know, very object oriented and classical inheritance and all that kind of good stuff. I like the tooling when it works, but I think that's the big asterisk, right? When it works. Um, and it always seems like it works when it doesn't matter. Like if it's a Tuesday on 2 and I have lots of time to fix it, it always seems to work. <laughs> when it's Friday at 4.30, it's like, no. That's technology for you in general, it seems like these days. Yeah. Hmm. 
Well, um, and there there are cultural differences. Uh, for instance, the whole continuous integration thing is very new to the .NET world, and there was a lot of resistance. You know, even when I talked to other .NET guys, like I went to a local thing to kind of mingle with them and understand what the hell is going on. First of all, damn, I'm the youngest person there. Oh. Second of all, they do not like the idea of continuous integration. At Explain all. continuous integration to me. Let's say you hired me to do jupiterbroadcasting.com, right? Okay. And because you're running PHP, I would do pseudo RM tack R, and you'd have no website. Um, but beyond that point, you like that? I do like that. That's nice. You're hired. <laughs> yes. Um, beyond that point, you'd say, you know, Mike, here are these features. Let's, uh, you know, we need to get her done, buddy, right? Like every other client, you'd be, you know, take you forever to pay me, but. As soon as you paid me, you'd be like, I got to get it done now, blah. You know, we wasted right. a week yeah. not signing the contract and being a dick. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So I'd be like, great. Well, Chris, you know, we're not big into writing reports, but I am big into continuous integration. And what that means is once something's stable, we're going to deploy it live. Uh, so continuous integration is kind of like uh, continuous deployment, continuous integration are, are somewhat synonymous, right? Enhanced interrogation or uh, prisoner rendition, you know, taking something that's a horrible idea and violates all rules and then just giving it a great name and then it sounds so, fine. <laughs> I, I shouldn't, with full disclosure, uh, I'm actually being indicted in The Hague this month. <laughs> so not sure if you want to hire me. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Jesus, uh, please. It, so it is not a bad idea and here's why. From the client perspective, it forces the developer to be honest, right? I can't just say I spent four days doing this, um, give you a bill for, what, 40 hours? And it only and, took uh, you an hour? Right. Well, I guess I could still do that, but I wouldn't, and it would be much harder to get away with that. Um, additionally, the longer you wait to deploy, the harder deployment is, right? And this is not an opinion. This is generally accepted in most web development communities. I say most, with one glaring exception. <laughs> oh my gosh! So the Steam, uh, the Steam announcement uh, has unlocked a one circle, and now we have a forty-seven hour countdown to the next circle. Last year, we shipped a software feature called Big Picture, a user interface tailored for tev- television and game pads. This year, we've been working on even more ways to connect the dots to customers who want Steam in the living room. Soon, we'll be adding your, we'll be adding you to our design process so that you can help us shape the future of Steam. So Did they just do a bunch of build up to nothing. Yep. Click it. Oh, they say, hold on. They say if you click it, there's goodness. If you click it, there's goodies in there. Okay. Click it. Click Steam it. OS. Holy crap. Get out of here. No. Steam OS. Steam no, freaking no. OS. No, there's no Steam OS. Did they just give the middle finger to Canonical? Did they just say th- th- goodbye, Canonical, and thanks for all the fish? I don't believe you. Link me. Someone link me. It's in the chat right now. It's in the here. I'll put it in the chat again. Uh, pow. Get the hell out of here. There it is. I just put it in there as Chase. Uh, oh, my gosh. Um, uh, Steam is not a one-way content broadcast channel. It's a collaborative, many-to-many entertainment platform in which each participant in, is a multiplier. of. This is talk, This sounded like indie development here to me where each participant is a multiplier in the experience for everyone. With SteamOS, openness means that the hardware industry can iterate in the living room. Uh, so they announced a platform. <laughs> oh, well, that was less. They announced a platform, which is not really what I wanted. But you know what? If it comes in... Oh, man. Well, I thought it was like a straight distro. Oh. SteamOS will be available as soon as, as soon as a free download for users with a freely licensable operating system for manufacturers. So it is an OS. 
Oh, but they're not doing a box themselves. Well, they might because there's still two more circles to unlock. And this feels like it might be an Android situation all over again. I don't know. I actually disagree because I think because Valve's been cooperating at such you know low levels at like the standard graphics stack and the kernel. Sure, they have a lot of control. I think it's more like because they feel like um, they're reacting to the lockdown on Windows and Mac side, and they want to. Also, just... I'm going to go ahead and support this because their color palette is purple, and I like that. So uh, uh, my first reaction to this is this is I don't know, I got to process this, but I feel like this was a canonical. We don't trust that you're going to be able to carry water for us. Yeah, I feel like um, I feel like this is something they told Canonical about before they did it because it kind of rocked the boat. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel <sighs> like there had to have been a, like, a chat. This is pretty interesting, though. Steam OS. So this is this will be the OS that people can put on their machines, but no oh, actual piece of hardware. Like I have now a, a mini that's pulled out of service. Can I just load Steam OS on that and be like, "You're a very crappy console now." Well, the Mac Mini might be particularly challenged, but you know something right. like that. Yeah. SteamOS will be available as a free download. That's pretty crazy. That's interesting. Especially if you if you can rip out the Steam parts. I mean, I wonder how customizable that's going to be. I wonder if it's not just an Ubuntu derivative, though. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it's a 1204 derivative. Yeah. Yeah. But that makes sense. I mean, that's a good place to start for somebody like Valve. No, that's not bad at all. I mean, that, yeah. that you know, if I was doing an OS, it'd probably be an Ubuntu derivative, too. So. Watch for announcements in the coming weeks all about the AAA titles. That could be huge for Linux, too. SteamOS has been report, has been ported to the Raspberry Pi. So we have 47 hours until the next uh, circle unlocks. Next circle of hell. Dun, dun, dun. I wonder if that's going to be like a controller or something. I'm not How sure. lame would that be? <laughs> yeah. All right. Wow. That was like a flashbang, it's, and it's over. It's, it was it's, anticlimactic. It, Monday, you know, it's like all these people like wait till the week after the Apple stuff. And then because you got Microsoft unveils the service yeah. too. You got Oppo with their new N1. You got Steam with the Steam box. Um, that's all today. But shall we jump back to our actual topic? Yeah. yeah. All right. So the whole continuous integration thing, um, you know, it's it's not like I'm Liam Neeson and I'm tying you to a chair and, you know, electrocuting you. Um, it's less like Taken. And more like, hey, we're going to make sure this is always deployable and always works. And, uh, you know, rapid iteration, agile, all that good stuff. Okay, I mean, the chat room seems to think it's a great idea. To me, it sounds like a nightmare, but okay. Well, I mean, it, it's like if, if you were a sysadmin and you made a deal with the devil. And your time was up and he says, now I have to torment you forever. What could I do? Ah, we'll push to production every four hours. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just like uh, as a, the the yep. uh, the admin in me just thinks that's horrible. I'm used to uh, all right. We're going to push the new site at four o'clock tonight. And so there's a few things tied in though, right? So maybe when I give you the full okay, lay it on me, brother. Full pitch. So Alex makes a good point in the chat room. That sounds like the client is afraid of the master branch. Well, this is the key, right? This is all part of DevOps, and this is all part of using a distributed source control system and using more modern Dev practices. So one of the holy grails of this is master is always deployable anytime, any day. It is always stable, meaning your master branch. How do you guarantee that, though, if you're not testing on it for a few days? Strict code review before you get into master. Automated testing, TDD, and, of course, good old manual testing. Okay. So you don't merge into master without at least someone reviewing your code, period. Now, this is where a lot of organizations fall down. Yeah. 
there's a lot of management. You're telling me you want me to take one of my senior developers for a whole day and review everybody else's code. This is this. All these things exactly. are. Yeah. OK. Yeah, it's exactly what I'm telling you. And if you're doing it the right way, the junior developers should also review the senior people's code, too. Because sometimes, you know, if you've been doing something for a long time, you pick something that's super complicated that could have been super simple, blah, blah, blah. Um, so that's rule number one. Master must always be stable and deployable, and you must be branching out by person, by topic. Uh, rule number two is this is part of the whole DevOps thing, right? And DevOps is a land where sysadmins are out of work. Um, I don't want to hit this too hard, but this is all kind of a developers are the admins too movement, right? Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. You're less likely to see this, in my opinion, in an organization with a strong IT department as opposed to a development department. Right, right, right for sure. Like, So this is something you would probably see in finger-to-tech but not see in, let's say, scale engine. And you know, my right. sysadmin bias tells me that developers are great at thinking they're good sysadmins, but they actually make horrible sysadmins. Right, and my developer bias says that sysadmins are far too conservative and right. slow things down. <laughs> so it's, you know, that's how it goes. Um, obviously, the truth is in the middle. And it all comes down to quality control. Because continuous integration with bad quality control it could be Chris Fisher's nightmare. Yeah. Especially if you suck and don't know how to roll it back. Now, one of the keys to this whole scenario is Git, right? Because you, do you know what rolling back a live thing is with Git? Git checkout yeah. commit number. Yeah. Done. Right. That's it. If you're not doing that, <laughs> then you have bigger problems. Uh, now, this is almost standard practice. I, in fact, I can't think of a Rails client I've had in the last two years that didn't do this. Um, Java, a little different, right? Uh, dot, but still, some some of this is going on in the Java world, at least in people I'm seeing. The .NET world, I mean, they're talking about it on the .NET podcast, they're writing blogs about it. It is still not happening. And the only... It's just only not a few, very enterprise But these aren't really all enterprise shops, though, right? These but are Microsoft smaller shops. Is. And it's, a, you know, I mean, if you're asking, I mean, isn't this, yeah. isn't this something that has to kind of come from from them up? Isn't this kind of like something that... Azure has to embrace. So properly. maybe. Uh, so this is another interesting cultural thing. Um, the way, in speaking to the small group of .NET developers, that they seem to approach open source modules, let's call them right, yeah. libraries, whatever, yeah. Yeah. is really weird. Um, there really isn't a strong open source community over there. I mean, there's a few highlights, but oh yeah, you've heard of him. You've heard of this, you know, you know Nancy, right? Which is a .NET thing that's like Sinatra. Um, are you using it? Oh no, God! We're, I mean, I'm sure it's cool, but we're using the you know the the quote the blessed stack. Um, blessed meaning from Microsoft, right? So it's like sort of supported, almost as like a feature to say yes, we support these, but it's not actually like people who are serious and know really well, know the ins and outs don't use them. So I don't know. I mean, I've I've been curious about this for over a month, and I've been reading about there. There is a little bit of a cultural clash in the .NET space. Um, I mean, I don't want to hit this too hard, given that my co-host is a sysadmin. But there are a lot of very high-ranking .NET developers in terms of you know their literal stripes in an organization that are really more like IT people, right? They're more like sysadmins. Yeah. Oh, totally. And, and with that comes a very conservative, very slow. That's not a bad thing. Your I job think- is. 
yeah. know, it's funny because our email uh, at the top of the show is like, I'm going to be a sysadmin, and then I'm going to jump from that into Linux, ad- a Windows admin, then Linux admin, then development. And I think a lot of people see that sysadmin path, and I have worked with a lot of really super talented Windows admins that are very, very smart, and uh, they all do .NET development too, because you end up needing to do that to automate anything serious in an well, Active Directory course. environment. So they kind yeah. of... They dip their toes in it, and then it, then it becomes much more interesting to them because, honestly, the sysadmin work is boring after a while, especially if you don't do contract work and you just sit in the same organization all the time. Super boring. So you get into the development side of things to, to, to entertain yourself, and then you, I think it just goes from there. I think that happens a lot. Yeah. What, again, I mean, that's fine. Um, I'm not uh, saying that. Yeah. I mean, I suppose. Like, I've always felt like uh, the people who are actually more interested in being a sysadmin are better sysadmins, and the people who are really have always been more consumed by development are probably a little more passionate and better developers. Not maybe better, but maybe more um, cutting edge developers. And so I, I think where you come so I, from influences that a little bit. Yeah. I th- but I think you've hit something on the head uh, about, quote, being cutting edge. Because um, in my chats with these guys, you know, they're obviously very polite, very cordial. But there was a, and you know, I'm the anti-node guy, but there was a big hint of I was the, come on, this is the new hotness. Uh, come on, guys. Come on, dad, play with me. And they were like, okay, kid, that's, that's, that's very cute. Right. Um, and well, isn't it interesting that I just displayed some yeah. of the bias that our Redditor was talking about? Because I, I, I just inferred that, well, .NET is the slow-moving, not progressive. Like, I just did that, like, accidentally. Well, it's not that they don't want to be progressive. It's They're conservative in the sense that, Right. If this works and we don't absolutely need to do it differently, even if it's not ideal, we stick with it. That's enterprise. That is enterprise to a T. Yeah, which is interesting because the idea – so one thing that's really interesting, the actual topic of dis- discussion for this meetup was how to deal with public clouds. And when they say public clouds, they mean Azure and AWS. So in that community, the discussion is still should we use Azure, period, right? Should we use these services? Not how do we better automate? Our wow, clients? it seems like they should be beyond that by now. Well, it, it's still a very hot point, um, and and frankly, a lot of it has to do with, or sounds like it has to do with security policies, things like that. More corporate, okay. more okay. You know, if you have a CTO who's, if you have an IT department, you have a lot of regulations because that's job security, right? I mean, unless you're a bank. Let's be honest, right? There, there's no reason. I mean, they were asking questions of the presenter like, well, how secure is the facility? Oh, well, do you have any government contracts? Oh, no, we're just an inventory system. Yeah. Well, what do you care? Yeah. Like, it's yeah. probably more secure than your, your server closet for sure. So this is a thing. Um, okay, so yeah, there is. <laughs> it's interesting because uh, the consumer space has really kind of just gone whole hog on cloud services, even because they don't even totally realize they have. Right. The enterprise space, as soon as you get to a certain size or you get to medical or any kind of anybody that's kind of regulated, um, you still see a lot of trepidation there. Like Snake Doc in the chat room right now says, my company uh, doesn't want to have anything to do with cloud anything. Uh, Snake Doc, I wonder if you'd say uh, what uh, uh, industry that is. So I just want to be fair, right? For banking, for medical, when you have HIPAA compliance, all these conversations make sense to me. Yeah. Uh, but most of the people who are asking these questions, I kind of want to ask them, oh, so what kind of field are you in? I expected to hear government contracting stuff like that, where obviously you have to follow different regulations. Um, not so much, right? And that's where I'm getting a little lost. 
I mean, listen, if you're deploying Linux and you have a government contract or a HIPAA, if you have to be HIPAA compliant for whatever reason, you obviously have different rules to follow regardless of Linux or Windows. I've always wondered if there isn't a little um, protectionism of the job. Uh, so uh, you That's know, what I was going to get it's at. It's yeah. like if you start going cloud everything, uh, you really kind of go from needing a team of IT people to maybe needing a guy a or two that just yeah. interfaces with the hosting company and then interfaces with the developers as needed. And then you, and, and, and a lot of ways IT can, can become this huge, you know, bottleneck in a company that tries to standardize everything and stamps out uh, individual productivity that uh, departments can gain. Like, you know, like Dropbox, right, man, man, have IT people been fighting Dropbox tooth and nail. But the fundamental issue is at the end of the day, a lot of departments are collaborating more successfully because of Dropbox and getting more work done. So it's like IT's by their very nature, they're going to fight that just like going to the cloud for web hosting. They, you know, they've got their systems. They know how to secure them. They know what their update schedule is. They know what software packages they can support. Uh, all, you know, all of these things that are 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 relevant, but less relevant when you can hire a company that's their expert job to do it, and then you all get right, into a contract. Let me, let me play. Let me play devil's advocate then, right? And I'm I'm surprised you're not taking this position, but you know, if you if I was a sysadmin, right, I would think my responsibility is to keep the service up. Period. Right. Keep the data relatively secure. I say relatively because you're never going to be secure when all the freaking fiber optics are tapped. Um, oh, Ed, nothing? Nothing, Ed? Hmm. Wouldn't you think that you would, if you have something running that's already secure, anything that equals change equals a threat? Not not just to your job personally, but to the security and to the stability of the infrastructure. Um. You know, uh, yes, in a perfect world, yes. In a, in, a, in a reality, though, usually, you know, servers are over capacity. You need to right. migrate something okay. off. And, you know, there's usually – so here's my take. The, and this is one of the reasons I switched to a contractor legitimately is because I felt like as cloud – see, when I was doing this, I was – we didn't even call it cloud hosting. We called it like hosted exchange and uh, hosted app. You know, we, would, we, had, we were coming up with all these terms for it, but we were essentially doing cloud computing. They just didn't call it back then. And I saw the way the wind was blowing back then, and I thought – this is totally going to minimize the need for the IT department. But so the, the, the path to success is to kind of become an expert at when you have a cloud hosting, when you have something on cloud hosting, that's your job's not done. You still, as a company, are responsible for the integrity of that data, backing it up, managing what's up there, making sure it's secure, making sure everything that's up there is up to date. You know, you still have tons of responsibility. So you just have to kind of become really good at doing that. And I don't think it removes IT. I think... Just like the internet has done to so many things, I think it sort of makes you have to streamline it and takes out some of the excess. It's a, it's kind of an interesting situation where technology is rapidly moving us to making a lot of things more and more irrelevant. You know, you have globalization of development talent, right. you have cloudification of IT resources. It's it's really kind of being consolidated down into these into these mega corporations. Not to go off topic there, but and then you, but then at the same time, you see these culture clashes where you have a group that is still even questioning if we should put it on Azure, if we should even put it in the cloud. And I think maybe, you know, the more I think about it, it's not totally an unreasonable conversation to have. I think what your point is, and I kind of, I kind of agree with you on is like totally have that conversation for anything that's regulated, anything that's sensitive. Yeah. But like when it's like an Amazon um, resellers page where you're reselling items, items through Amazon. You know, you don't need to have that on your own server. You know, or if, it's, I, uh, if it's your company page with us are about and a Google map in bed. <laughs> if 
go ahead and put that up on the cloud. <laughs> Ouch, dude. <laughs> yeah, so that's all. Um, you know, I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to sound too much like too critical of of their position, though, because I I feel like given recent events, you know, there are certainly valid concerns um, in terms of public clouds in particular, right? You know, there's even more concern now. Right, and that, that's kind of why I'm a little surprised that you've taken such a such a dude-get-over-it-and-go-cloud kind of position. I wouldn't say that. Well, I'd say it depends on the workload. Like, I'm kind of... But even for things that are relatively trivial, like, obviously, HIPAA compliance, I don't think anyone could argue that should be in the public cloud, right? I, I See, I'm... I, I Yeah, and I, I kind of go, like... I'm pulling out a Dropbox myself. I've, I'm so, actively considering right, pulling we, my email a little off the crazy? cloud. Yeah, go ahead. I sent a, a letter to Bitbucket. Yeah. Requesting information regarding what kind of reporting, monitoring, and uh, access they rights they retain to my source code on their services. Because uh, it occurred to me that if there were ever a breach of Bitbucket, anything that I was doing for R&D could be lost or compromised. Right? Sure, yeah. Um, I had, it was two months ago. Oh, you haven't heard anything back? I haven't heard a damn thing. I got a form letter back saying, thank you, we forwarded this to our legal department. So the conspiracy theorist in me says, dude, we don't need subpoenas. We just hand things over. Not that I'm doing anything criminal, but... Oh, right, sure. If, if you know, if there were, fing- like, AT&T Labs, if there were fingertip labs that was doing, you know, experimental stuff that might be worth a lot of money or, you know, f- for research contracts... I don't know that I would trust public source control hosting in the cloud, right? So I, I maybe I'm paranoid. I mean, you're you're usually more paranoid than me, but in this case, I guess I feel like there is still enough concern. Yeah, yeah. it comes like down to can you the, can you do a better job than they can, and I'm, and then are you are do you believe that the fact that something GitLab could be subpoenaed like could something be national security lettered is that a concern does it need to be a concern uh and you know you just have to f- answer those questions for me it's like one of the reasons i'm thinking about moving my email back onto my lan <clears throat> is because when you're on a large provider they're especially the larger of the provider i would assume github probably is large enough but definitely google is you become large enough where there's just a relationship set up between you and the authorities and they can collect things in a mass swoop. So, and, and again, I'm not doing anything wrong and I'm not super paranoid, but every now and then I have gotten emails from people that would probably be in trouble by their employer who is, you know, I don't want to say actually. Uh, so I, there's, there's been things that people have sent me from outside the country uh, and that 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 could potentially set off red lights somewhere in a monitoring place and put me on a list. And because there is a pretty easy uh, um, relationship between them and Google, and anything that's over ninety days or what is it, one hundred eighty days in my inbox is actually not even cons- doesn't even require fair game. Yeah. yeah. So you know, when I think about these things, I think you know, maybe I, I I get hundreds of emails a day from outside the United States, and some of those are pro- who knows who some of those people are. Some of them are probably, you know, absolutely, you know, no concern. But maybe one in 2,000 is. Who knows? And so I start, I do start to worry about it a little bit. And I start to think, God, maybe I should, because if the mail server was at my house, there's nothing that they would stop them. But at least if they were going to subpoena something, they'd actually have to come to me. See, they don't have to, I don't ever have to know when it's on Google. I never know when it happens. So if I use Google for the next 10 years, there's a possibility at some point in that timeline, they've gained access to my inbox and I would never know. Where at least if it's on my local premises, they have to... 
Yeah. Uh, excuse me, Mr. Fisher. Uh, we need uh, to see your email server. You know, and at least then I know. Right, and then you can play the well. I'm a, an American citizen, and I'm calling my attorney, and I'm not talking to you. Card. And if they they can hold you for seventy two hours and put the questions to you harshly, as Humphrey Bogart would say. But beyond that, there's nothing they can do. But if they're on a third party service, they simply say, "Yo, Larry, um, can we just see those real quick?" And that's it. So do you get a sense that these NSA concerns are going to be like just a 2013 thing? So I I lost a client because of this, a British company, who, a little weird because they've invented this crap, so so monitoring things, CCTVs, Um, but yeah, they they, they pitched a little bit of a fit. Uh, I think there is a, we haven't seen it yet, but I think there's a serious, I don't want to say threat, but. I imagine that me getting overseas, even Canada, right, even Canadian clients, is going to be harder. Unless I'm able to, you know, run, spin their stuff up over in Ireland, which is where a lot of, you know, Amazon and Microsoft have their stuff. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't know. No one could know this, answer that question correctly, but I think there's a lot of concern. I hope, I hope so. Well, it's, if there is, it's going to be very bad for the economy. Yeah. That that that's why I hope so because that's what'll make yeah. them change it because that's and you know not to get political but this the government moves when business tells them to and if business tells them you're costing us too much money you got to change it then it'll actually happen if we're upset about it is nothing's going to happen but yeah. when Google starts turning their machine around on this and Microsoft starts turning their machine around on this and Yahoo and Apple they all get their lobbying machines working on this then we're going to have a solution it'll probably be still going on and just more industrialized, but at least maybe we'll have some sort of solution to this. But until those companies feel pain and then decide to apply pressure via lobbying, you know, us little fries are just going to continue to get fried. Well, that... All right, so let's go down this road. Even if you develop something overseas, it still has to go through the public internet and it's still going to be tapped Yeah, yeah. because it goes over the fiber optic cable. So... I mean, you know, VPN. the whole thing about throwing servers up in Ireland is just to make people feel better. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's security theater. Uh, you know, you, no one is going to be able to ask developers or IT admins to fix this problem. This is a, you know, if you're really concerned about this from a tec- technical perspective, go write your congressman. Or in England, where this is also very, very big, and I'm, I'm a little surprised that the U.S. is taking the brunt of it. Um, I mean, obviously, we did a lot, but. You know, write your MP, is that what they call him? <laughs> Whatever. Write the limey bastard who's drinking tea all day. Uh, and, and, like, it, I can't tell you how frustrating it is to take these phone calls. It, you know, I, you can't promise security anymore to people. You just can't. I mean, what was that story that the NSA actually broke some sort of encryption? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you just kind of have to deal with the fact that it's public. If it's in bits, it's public now. This is the case for, you know, I called it yesterday on last, I called it Fortress Chris. Um, I'm, you know, I've moved my chat. But here's the problem. You start using PGP encryption, you start bringing everything in-house, now you're a suspect. Right. Right. I'm just, um, the only way to combat that is if enough other people get off their ass and do it too. Oh, no, I mean, the ultimate solution is, is you know, I don't want to get political, but this idea that, you know, the good of the many outweighs the, you know, privacy of the individual is probably bad. And the party who seems to push that the most needs to be voted out. Which I, I can't tell which one is. It seems like they both do it. 
you know, uh, yeah, well, you think about it, right? I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, we were going way down a path here, but it was, I mean, one party started it and the other party who criticized it definitely expanded it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, I, I, I think this is a, a November 7th or whatever it is concern. I mean, look, if I lose $20,000 of business and if Chris loses 30, 40, whatever, they couldn't give a rat's ass. No one cares. Right. The only people who care, maybe some sympathetic JV, JV folks, obviously our families would care. But until this hits Microsoft, until this hits Apple, until right. this hits people who can afford to perhaps rent a congressman, um, you guys are screwed. Like, Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think uh, we're going to see we'll – see, uh, we'll see an innovation in a bunch of new technologies that are trying to combat this. Well, here's the thing. I don't think you will. Well, we already are. You're seeing BitMessage. You're seeing MailPile. I um, don't. I a lot of things are coming along. Um, the folks that start—I can't remember the, what group they started—but they're working on a private chat system, you know. And then I'm also just like myself. I brought my my instant messaging now is in house on my local LAN. I don't connect out to Google Talk or AOL Instant Messenger. And um, you know, I I think you know a combination of local services combined with new services cropping up that people might switch to. Okay, but how do you? I mean. Ha- I don't know. I mean, this is not a. This is definitely more of an unfiltered topic. But if I launched a service tomorrow that was a a um, at home utility for Tor traffic, which I was going to do, Chris, by the way, a little box. Cool. I, I had a prototype. It was pretty cool. I experimented with doing that on a Raspberry Pi. Yeah, I still have. A, well, I did it based on a BeagleBone Black, but I actually oh, yeah, found yeah. To get it cheaper. Yeah. Um. It was brought to my attention by my attorney that I would likely be indicted with whatever crimes my customers committed for enabling it. So why couldn't that extend to someone doing encrypted email? I don't know. Right? If that's a possibility, then I suppose so. I mean, some of the stuff's being done outside the U.S. Remember, the word facilitation can mean lots of things. Thankfully, not all of it's in the U.S., but yeah, some of it is. I don't know. Well, if, you, if you're a U.S. citizen and you live in the U.S., I mean, you just have to worry about, I mean, you know, what, what is the old expression? The DA can indict a ham sandwich. See, to me, uh, this is, you know, if I was, if I were, this could potentially mean more business for IT contractors and, and IT people, right? I mean, this could mean. Well, I, I think this is going to mean more business for European IT contractors. It could mean more business for developers, too, because maybe somebody is eyeing some sort of cloud-hosted service that they love, and maybe now they're going to hire a developer to create something like that for them internally. Maybe. I, I don't, you know, they shut down the, the email dude. I forgot his name. Um what was his name? The guy with the encrypted email. I read a story about him last night, too. Not only did they shut him down, they put a gag order on him so he couldn't say what exactly they did. Right. Yeah, they do that to right. everybody. Marissa right. Meyer even said she was under a gag order. Yeah, well, I mean, Marissa Meyer, I think, overstated her case, and they're never going to arrest a new mother and put her. I mean, that wow, would be. Wow, listen to you being all judgy. Honestly, if I was Marissa Meyer, I'd say arrest me. Let's put the photo of me and my baby on the New York Times. Yeah, I know. Wouldn't that be nice if she actually. That would be. That would yeah. be. Yeah, there'd be a pardon real quick. Um, uh, hold on. A From the very beginning in 2007, with the NSA and FISA and PRISM, has been skeptical of and has been yeah. scrutinizing those requests. In 2007, Yahoo filed a lawsuit uh, against the the new. Now hear this part right here, because this is the part I want you to. Uh, the Patriot yeah. Act parts of of PRISM and FISA. Um, we fought that. Uh, we were the, the the key plaintiff. A lot of people have wondered about that case and who and who it was. It was us. You lost. Well, the, 
we lost. And then um, you caved. Not you. You weren't there yet, but right. But the thing is, like when you when you lose when, when you lose, so we we fought, we lost. Yeah. You, if you don't comply, it's treason. So that to me. So if you fight it and then you lose, you're double screwed. Like, cause then you're locked well, into complying. Otherwise, it's jail time. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. And if that happened tried to the, with treason, but that happened. Well, uh, the Quest CEO is in jail. Right. No, I mean they, they've people have been imprisoned, right? Like this is not. Yeah. She's not off the mark. I don't know. If, I mean, a, a trial for treason. Sure, would be a hell of a show, is, though. Is it, well, I mean, I mean, if would, anybody in yeah. in their position did that, it would it would. That would do it, right? I mean, that well, would... there's other pressures that you know your credit could go from whatever to zero overnight. I mean, there's other ways. I don't think that ever try her, but yeah, yeah. It, it, what's really interesting, and I'm surprised you didn't play that uh, clip, was the Verizon CEO kind of or CEO or president accusing like, all the tech companies of grandstanding, saying, yeah. "Come on, kids, we've been doing this forever." Yeah, remember the telcos are actually part of a government grant when they first started. Yeah. Um, you know, before we run yeah. today, uh, I just want to mention that uh, Mr. Rekai has uh, pushed new versions of our browser extensions out. and uh, Yeah, uh, he took my uh, prison patch, too. Which is <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we, it's a little bit it's – a, it's a, it, we have changed a little bit on how it handles when you click links. So if you click somebody's link who's already tagged, uh, it, won't, it won't override their tag. So you can, you know, you can, you can, uh, use, you can give them a little of your shopping session. Uh, but to do that, it has to reparse the URLs, and so it requests new authorization. So right now, it's disabled in Chrome. If uh, you have our extension, you have to go turn it on. Or in Firefox, we have a new version with improved integration. And by the way, both versions have uh, Woot.com added and Monoprices in there too. And when you use these browser extensions at Amazon, Newegg, ThinkGeek, Best Buy, a few other sites, it automatically tags your shopping session, and a portion of that goes to Jupiter Broadcasting. And that's how we pay things like the bandwidth bills, things like a little extra expenses here and there. All those kinds of things. So it really does help out quite a bit. So uh, please remember, uh, if you have our browser extension or don't have it yet, make sure it's running. If you don't have it, go grab it. It's it's open source. The code is up on uh, on on the GitHub's too. If you want to go check it out, which is pretty oh. cool, which is nice, right? All right, Mr. Dominic. Well, anything else we want to cover before we run today? No, I'm a little sad now. All right. Okay. Well, it's okay. Well, you know what? We'll have a hug session after the show. We'll yes. we'll hug it out. All right. No, actually, sad. Why? It wasn't. Oh, well, no, the prism stuff. Yeah. You know, why did we even talk about that? We just ended on a downer, dang it. Well, listen, uh, bring it up a bit. Uh, send us an email, would you? CoderRadio at jupiterbroadcasting.com or pop that contact link or visit coderadio.reddit.com. Mr. Dominic, where should people find you throughout the week? Federal prison. Okay, that's probably about right, actually. Yeah. Or uh, in case he doesn't get arrested, we'll have links to his website as well as social profiles in the show notes and mine too. Wait, Chris, how do you know I'm not already in federal prison? You've never met me. Your Skype connection was a little shaky today, actually. Yeah, it might yeah. have been. Uh, also, new calendar page updated. You can now uh, just select your time zone, jupiterbroadcast.com slash calendar. That way you can join us live on a Monday over at jblive.tv and hang out in our awesome chat room and chat with those good folks. All right, everyone. Well, thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of Coda Radio. We'll see you right back here next week.